Hi, welcome to the Podcasting with Friends movie edition. I'm Nick Moffat, and I'm here with Derek Deal. Hey. And Brandon Bowlby. Hello. And today we're going to be talking about movies that came out in spring of 2017. The show is going to work in a way that each of us has picked out three movies, and we're going to go in a roundtable introducing the movie, telling you what we like about it, and recommending it for everyone to see. First off, uh, how you guys doing? How's the movie season been for you already this year? Pretty amazing. Uh, is that different than any other springs? Well, yeah, I feel like it is. After watching like so many movies the year before, usually I take a big break, I feel like, in the spring. This spring has been a lot different. I've already seen way more than I've seen the last few years in the first season of the year. I think it's been one of the best openings I can remember. Yeah, I'm totally with you. And I'm trying to figure out if it's me or if it's movies that are coming out. Because I know I was like really into movies in January and February, which is typically Oscar season, like 2016 movies. Now we're in 2017 movies, but it seems like almost every week there's been a pretty big either blockbuster or indie movie that I've been really excited about. Well, like a 90 plus certified Rotten Tomato movie every other weekend at least. That's really important right there. It's super, super important for enjoying movies is yeah. their Rotten Tomato score. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> this whole year I think has been really like front loaded, and which is really exciting going into the summer. There's a lot more movies still looking forward to, just as opposed to like last year and last spring. I don't know if I, I saw like maybe one movie in theaters last spring. And I know like the summer was pretty rough too. So yeah, I think 2017 is off to a really good start. This is definitely like at least in the last five or six years is the most movies I've actually gone out to the theater to see. Mm -hmm. Like the percentage that I love them has been really high too. Yeah, I really haven't been disappointed by any movie I saw in the theater so yeah. far this year. Yeah. And I think I've seen already 10 or something. Yeah. Do you guys know off the top of your head how many movies you've seen already this year? Not just in the theater, but just overall? I've seen exactly 10 in the theater this year. Oh wait, no wait, sorry. I've seen 10 2017 movies, okay. not necessarily in the theater. Totally, so totally. Far. Yeah, I'm at, I think I'm at 12, or maybe 13 now. Okay. So I just saw Wonder Woman last night, but we're not talking about that. Yeah, we're going to save Wonder Woman and Aliens and a few others, if we even want to talk about them, but we're going to save some of those for our summer episode. Okay, so without further ado, we're going to jump right in and start talking about spring 2017 movies. Uh, Brandon, you want to start us off with your first movie? Yeah, uh, my first movie is Raw. This was one of the uh, earlier movies I saw this year. It was actually on my list for 2016, but it didn't get released in the United States until March this year, I believe. Yeah. So it's going to be bumped up to my 2017 list for sure. This is a uh, French cannibalism horror film. This is probably one of my favorite horror films I've seen in a long time since like Mother or like Babadook. Um, I guess not too long, but several years. It's one of my favorite horror movies I've seen. This movie is really unique for me. It wraps its mystery more in like the character's intentions and the way the friends and siblings are reacting to the discoveries that they have as opposed to having like a big overarching story. Yeah, man, I totally hear you with Raw. Like that movie was so interesting. There are a few things that really stood out with me. Like, first of all, I didn't really know much about it going in except that it was a cannibalistic movie. I mean, it was a French film. So also with foreign films, sometimes you don't totally know what you're gonna get yourself into. And the style of it was really unique and crazy. That alone kept you on your toes. One thing that I thought was also really interesting was that it was a coming of age movie. It was this girl that was going to college. Mm -hmm. She was kind of discovering who she was, 
but like the college had all these like weird traditions, hazing aspects. So like all of that was really weird. And then the cannibalistic stuff kind of started coming out and it was just a really crazy ride. Yeah, with the hazing and the setting in the middle of prestigious veterinarian college, but had the backdrop of the whole thing was basically a fraternity house. Yeah. It was almost like a fictional weird place. Could have existed, but probably doesn't. Yeah. And with all the like animal autopsies and dissections that were kind of going on within the school on top of the cannibalism storyline, it added to the whole eeriness of it. Yeah, like at parts I was kind of thinking, is this real or not? Are, are these people really doing what they're doing? And why are they doing it? But then you're kind of learning along with them who they are. It was a totally creative movie. And I don't know, it really grossed me out at some parts. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure when they screened in Seattle, they passed out barf bags. For real? Yeah, like at the Egyptian, they handed out barf bags for people. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, while it's a cannibal, I guess, horror movie, it doesn't have the typical horror aspects. It didn't scare me as much as it disturbed me and totally. grossed me out. You know, there's not a killer on the loose murdering or eating people alive throughout the whole movie. Yeah. It's more like one girl's journey through cannibalism, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like she's going to college and she's learning about herself. But yeah, there's no killer. It's not like Cannibal Holocaust or The Green Inferno. Yeah. Like those kind exactly. of movies where... There's groups of people that are eating other groups of people. It's not like that. It's a very subtle movie. Which somehow, I think, makes it more disturbing. Derek, I really think this movie would be up your alley. Yeah. No, I've, I've, ever since I heard about it coming out, I know like last year, I heard a lot about it and saw a trailer. It's definitely been on my radar. I wish, really wish I went go see it in the theaters, but definitely going to check it out as soon as I can. Totally. So yeah, that movie was raw. It is currently available on demand so you can get on itunes or other streaming sites online for rental so uh derek do you want to talk about your first movie sure so the first movie i want to talk about is a movie that i think is going to stand as a landmark in my timeline of films that i watched throughout my life it's one of the best theater going experiences i've ever had hands down from one of my favorite directors ever he's really like driven my love for film ever since i started liking films and so that film is split m night Shyamalan's newest movie and i'm really excited to say that he's like totally completely back now he's like, back he's back <laughs> m night is back yeah 100 <laughs> percent. i was really excited after the visit but then after watching split it's like okay we're back it brought back everything that i remember loving about old m night Shyamalan films Totally. It didn't even cross my mind until I was watching it. That all of a sudden I was like, oh yeah, M. Night Shyamalan has always been known as a very visually prestigious director. Yeah, for real. <laughs> it's like, no one has talked about that in like 10 years. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden it was like, oh yeah, he's really good at that yeah. stuff. With the and visit, kind of needed two to prove it. Yeah. Know, with the visit, you're not like totally convinced yet, even though it was We're, good and I really liked it. Yeah. I think part of it too might be like him working with Blumhouse. He has a smaller budget, and yeah. he's just sticking to the thriller aspect. Yeah. That was another thing was, like, I forgot how great he was at building tension. Yeah. And Knight's tension building is just, the whole thing just increases and increases until it's like, Oh, yeah. it's all going down. It was just everything that we've come to love about M. Night Shyamalan and things that people have come to hate about M. Night Shyamalan working 
perfectly together. Seeing that in theaters, I don't know, it's just something I'll always remember forever. So it's, it's definitely a movie I want to put on everybody's radar if anybody has not seen it It's yet. hard to talk about this movie without talking about spoilers. I mean, I like to tease that it has a twist. It is like an M. Night Shyamalan yeah. classic twist. And I think it may be his best twist. Yeah, I, I think I'd agree with you on that. It's really good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really hard to talk about this movie really without... Is without saying anything else yeah. but it sounds like everybody you know it got a really high rotten tomato score yes of course <laughs> uh it also like it kind of came out right around the same time as like get out and so they were both kind of competing for Bloomhouse's biggest movie ever gross like 200 million almost it's quite a feat for such a small movie and uh how about uh james mcavoy yeah, James McAvoy. Like, was... He should be nominated for Best Actor for that. Yeah. Like, the movie like rests on his shoulders, and he carries it all the way through. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, I was really hesitant about that movie. Like, I saw so many trailers for it. Just every time I was on Hulu, they were showing commercials for it. And the split personality thing has been totally played out, in my opinion. We probably don't need any more movies about split personality. And you we know, I did that in Untitled Euphoria. Yeah, like, <laughs> I did it in our movies in high school. Yeah, like, just, I feel like that trope is just so played out. But they did find a way to make this unique. This was different than any other split personality movie. And... You know, another thing that personally bothers me is how it's not like real life at all. I work in social work, and that's not how people with split personalities act by any means. None of the movies I've ever seen have really got that disorder correct. But this movie doesn't even really pretend to exist in the real world. Kind of completely does its own thing. Once again, I want to say that it really harkens back to old M. Night. So if you're a fan of his older movies, like The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, you really should watch this movie. Yeah. Yeah, and most films of this caliber will use the split personality disorder as the plot point that comes out in the climax, or this just like throws it right up front, right in your face. I mean, the movie is called Split, yeah. and the trailers yeah. are, you know, like Every from poster. the first time uh, the character comes out, like that is what the movie is about. It's exaggeratedness. It makes it work. It's not like hiding it at all. Yeah. All right, cool. So that movie is Split. That's available on DVD or online for streaming. So uh, watch it if you get a chance. The first movie I wanted to talk about was Logan. I've been a fan of the X-Men movies since they came out, and not all of them have been great, but really it's a long-running franchise, and the way that those movies connect doesn't necessarily matter as much, but Wolverine has always been... He's been the through line. Yeah, exactly. He's been the through line through all of it, and this movie takes you into the future, and it's a really dark, grimy, sad future. Kind of like Children of Men meets X-Men. Instead of no babies being born, there's no more mutants. And Wolverine's one of the last ones. His friends aren't around anymore. Professor X is losing his mind. And he's kind of called upon to go on an adventure and to bring this new mutant to a safety place. To me, it harkens back to a lot of old-time westerns. It has these tropes of uh, like an aging veteran who's lost in the world and he has to reluctantly save someone to betterment of the future. Do you know like where a general area where it lands in the X-Men franchise? Um, I mean, I'd definitely put it in the top five. Yeah. I was a huge fan of Days of Future Past, yeah. so that's probably up there, and X2 is up there as well. So, I mean, I'd probably put Logan at number three. Right. It's but definitely the best Wolverine film. Definitely. Yeah. I think a lot of people are turned off by this movie, by how nihilistic it is. It's a really bleak future, but I also think there's hope in it. 
I like what this movie veers away from world being torn to bits, explosion, porn, that so many action movies and especially the superhero movies have become. Apocalypse. And like X-Men Apocalypse <laughs> was. Yeah. And reigns it all into kind of a uh, new vision of what these um, blockbusters can be. Smaller cast, more personal story, following one character yeah. through his journey. Yeah, I think we're discovering that where people are getting superhero fatigue which I don't really experience because good movies are good movies, bad movies are bad movies. But people are getting tired of that laser beam from the sky that's mm -hmm. destroying everybody. And it's like a relief when movies are just a simple story told really well. I think our video production teacher in high school used to say that. <laughs> I, I think so. I cringed a little bit when they said that. <laughs> Keep it simple, tell it well. Did you guys see Logan? I did not yet. Oh, well, it's available on Blu-ray and DVD and available on iTunes for streaming. So, Brandon, what's your next movie? My next film is The Lost City of Z. This film totally snuck up with me this year. I don't know how, because apparently you guys have been seeing stuff for it, like all of 2016. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but uh, as soon as it came out it and it dropped, it got some extremely high buzz online and great ratings. AV Club gave it its notorious A rating, which it gives nothing. And so I literally, like, the next day went in theaters completely, like, blind, knowing nothing about the storyline. The Lost City of Z is about a British cartographer who gets sent to the Amazon in the early 1900s when, I mean, clearly everything had been very much settled, but as far as like going into the heart of the jungle, something very few people had done and really explored. It is a historical epic that we kind of haven't seen much since the 90s. There was a lot more of these in the early 2000s. There was a lot more of these, but this movie takes a little bit of a twist on it. I guess it's a smaller budget, you know, like this movie looks like it's a $150 million movie when it's probably a $40 million movie. And the level of immersion it's able to accomplish in this early 1900s Amazon setting is pretty outstanding. It also deals with the subject matter very unmelodramatically, which is different than a lot of these other films usually do. It's played very quiet and very straight. Totally. Well, Cool. <laughs> Sorry, have you, have you guys seen this film? I have no. not. And the thing about this movie was that every time I went to an indie movie last year, I always saw that trailer for it. And I didn't want to see it. It was one of those movies where the trailer plays and I was just like, oh, okay, this movie again. I really don't want to see this movie. And so I was totally shocked. I remember when you messaged me that morning, like, Velocity Z got an A. Have you guys even heard of this movie? And I was like, oh, that movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of the same way. Like, it just been popping up on YouTube for ads before videos for like the last six months or something. It's wow. like, oh, this looks so boring. And, like, <laughs> not a single thing interested me about the film. <laughs> it, yeah, it's kind of the same thing. But all of a sudden it comes out. It could be an early contender for like yeah, best for an picture Oscar. and stuff like that. And so crazy. I also didn't know until the movie started that it's an Amazon Studios film. Saw that in the oh. credits. And as far as them like taking over super high quality films, Manchester by the Sea last year, like yeah. this one could easily, I could see going to the Oscars and winning some awards. And it's kind of a part of the new wave of takeover these new media companies are doing in the film industry. Well, they're kind of like giving another breath of fresh air into the industry where there's a lot of movies that just don't sell. Like yeah. they make the movie and they just can't sell it. And we just and don't. The, yeah, these ones, it. these types of films don't yeah, sell anymore not, for sure. Yeah, exactly. And so it's kind of nice to see when somebody like Amazon really wants to get their name in those contenders with like the Weinsteins and like, you know, all the 
legendary people that produce movies that get a lot of Oscar buzz. Now we can see them like stepping up and grabbing a lot of those movies that other studios pass on because financial reasons and stuff. Amazon doesn't really have to worry about that, so they just do it to build their prestige. Totally. So it's pretty cool. I mean, it's pretty early for it to have Oscar yeah, buzz. So do you think it'll kind of stick around for the Oscar buzz, or do you think it just can't will come out too early? As far as its acclaim thus far, it should be right in there. But as far as its release date, it's going to be a tough road for it. So that is pretty rare for an early, early spring movie to make it. Yeah, I was trying to think of like any other movie that had come out that early in the year. Crash. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know if it was that early, but it was still early. Yeah. Really? <laughs> I don't remember when Crash came out. I remember seeing it in the theater, but yeah, I don't remember when that movie came out. So that is The Lost City of Z. Do you know if it's out yet, Nick? It's not out yet. It's still in a few smaller theaters. Okay. So yeah, it should be out uh, sometime this summer, though, for viewing. Um, Derek, what's your next movie? So my next movie, it's like right on the border of summer and spring, but I think we decided it's going spring, right? Yeah, you can talk um, about it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> my second film that I wanted to talk about was Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. James Gunn returned uh, as the director and writer. For me, this movie was really refreshing for not just superhero movies, but mostly like the MCU. I love everything that they do. But I did have just a weird taste in my mouth after Doctor Strange. Like, it felt so by the books, I was worried that that's what Marvel was transforming into. I just wasn't excited to see more of that. And it was really refreshing to see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 because it seemed like the exact opposite. It seemed like Marvel loosened, yeah, their grip on their narrative structure and what they expect their directors to deliver. And so what we got was like a really personal movie that was like all about character relationships and just like evolving those and moving those forward. Yeah. That was the focus of the movie. Like the most character driven uh, Marvel movies they've put out so far. Yeah. Guardians of Volume 2 did a bunch of things that most sequels don't do. Yeah. They didn't just rely and skate by on things that worked in the first one. In fact, I would think plot was probably the weakest part of Guardians Volume 2 because they spent so much time with the characters. Yeah. They were just, hey, you love these characters. Let's get to know them better. Right. Let's get to know how they interact with each other. Why are they the way that they are? Why does Rocket have a chip on his shoulder? Yeah. Let's dig further into that. You know, the cast kind of expanded in this movie. I don't think it's really spoilers to say. Uh, so some enemies have kind of become part of the Guardians team or at least along for the ride. And so we got to explore their lives a lot more i thought all the new additions to the cast were great everyone uh really delivered dave batista freaking stole the movie batista was the best He's part of the so movie. freaking funny yeah really funny. <laughs> I, I mean i think it's his character i think he just gets his character and yeah. you know people always talk about how batista's a really sarcastic guy in real life and i think they kind of tapped into certain things about him yeah. and were able to pull it out every line that he has is just a crack up yeah and that's another part of the movie is that the movie is funny yeah. the whole thing i was laughing my butt off yeah me too i would actually almost say to a fault it's actually my only gripe with the movie is that I feel like they've cut out almost no joke. They just like, it was joke, 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 yeah. which was great. It was all really funny. Like it didn't keep any of the dramatic points from landing. I don't know. It was, it was, it was exhausting at some points. It's just a lot of, a lot of laughing. I don't know. Yeah. And James Gunn is such a creative director. I mean, I think yeah. just one of my favorite things in the movie is the opening credit sequence mm -hmm. and just how 
different and unique the whole baby Groot dance-a-thon is. Yeah. Totally. Just the concept and them sitting down in a room and coming up with that four-minute sequence is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it's, it's really cool to see him excelling so well at doing this kind of thing because he has such an interesting background in film, like starting with trauma and then like like slither uh, right? slither and super which every time he's come out with a movie they've been great i've always loved them but they've always been pretty quiet barely noticed by critics kind of average reviews and stuff so it's really cool to see him get this opportunity and he's kind of carrying like a franchise on his back now it's pretty separated from the rest of the mcu at this point mm-hmm. i don't think there's a single reference to any other MCU movie. Pretty sure the Guardians don't even know that the Avengers exist. Yeah. And and vice versa. (laughs) And like you would think with Infinity War coming up, they would be setting it up like they did with Iron Man 2 or even Age of Ultron. Big problem with those two movies is that they were two main pieces were moving around because they were setting up future movies. Right. This one didn't really do that at all. It was just, hey, we're doing another Guardians movie and that's that. Yeah. So Infinity War comes out before Guardians 3? Yes. So yeah, they might like use them not knowing about all of this to an advantage. Yeah, totally. That would make for a really funny storyline, I think. So that's Guardians Volume 2, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and I'm pretty sure that's still in the theaters. Yeah, it is. Okay, my second movie that I'd like to bring up is Train Spotting 2. Train Spotting 1 came out in the mid 1990s. For me, when I saw it, I kind of lumped it in with Requiem for a Dream as a druggy movie. Those are the two movies that came out around the same time, or I saw them around the same time, and they both were about people who were over their head with drugs. I always preferred Requiem because I thought it was a more powerful movie. They really hammered in the drug stuff with Requiem. And it wasn't until I rewatched Train Spotting, getting ready for the second one, that I realized, yeah, they're drug addicts, but really it's about their friendship. It's about the group of friends and how they kind of enable each other. And they get into trouble, they're living life to the fullest, even though they're making bad choices, they're like having a great time and they're being ridiculous and they love each other. Yeah, that actually surprised me too. I had the exact same reaction. Like yeah. it was way less about heroin than I thought it was back in high school. Totally. And there was way less, I mean, the movie was tragic, but unlike Requiem for a Dream, those scenes were much smaller and more contained at specific parts of the movie. And then it goes on to become something more of their relationships. Totally. I feel like the second one, it was a sequel that we didn't know that we needed. The first one kind of ends on a ambiguous note. He walks off and you don't really know what the future holds for him. But then it comes out 20 years later and it's like, oh, this is what the characters have been up to. It kind of has that before trilogy kind of aspect. You know, the Richard Linklater movies where you catch up with the characters every 10 years and see what they're up to. It's kind of like that where it's been 20 years and they really haven't been doing anything. They're still lost. They're not necessarily drug addicts still, but they're like mid-age weirdos now. They kind of wasted a lot of their lives. They are struggling with the future. In the first one, they didn't really care about the future. They're living life one day at a time. Now, after living their lives like that, they're stuck with where to go next. I don't know, I think the movie still retains that vibe of the first one where it's really fun, the characters are cool to be around, but it also has this level of nostalgia and I think the movie is trying to make a statement about nostalgia culture because, I mean, there's so many movies and TV shows that come out that are sequels or reboots. And Trainspine 2 kind of plays off of that, where you're kind of returning to these characters, but you're also seeing what happens when you return to the characters. And it's fun, but it's also not pretty. 
one of the most famous scenes in the first one is the choose life monologue that Ewan McGregor's character has. And he does an updated version in the second one, but it's almost like he's the old man. He's complaining about Instagram and the kids these days. And it's like, okay, you've kind of lost touch. You're kind of a loser now. But it's still totally fun seeing these guys relive and go forward with themselves. That was a really good balance between old callbacks and progressing these characters so much further. I don't think it went overboard on it. One of my favorite things about the movie that's really specific is the like heightened fictional set designs. And this is very much in the first one as well, but they do it just as well in the new film. I mean, just like the iconic is bedroom, mm -hmm. right? Bedrooms like that don't exist. Or the like disgusting bathroom. All these things are taken to extremes and it just makes like from scene to scene so much more interesting. I mean, what's interesting about the nostalgia of the first one, they play into it because Hugh McGregor, the main character in the movie, there's a scene where he's running around a parking garage and he almost gets hit by a car. And then he has a flashback from the first movie where I think that's even the first scene of the first movie when he gets hit by a car and he like stops and he smiles at the driver and it's like iconic. He's remembering it and we're remembering it, but it's a totally different situation. Yeah, so that's Train Spying 2. Check it out. It's not in the theaters anymore. It should be coming out on streaming really soon. So, uh, Brandon, what's your next movie? My third film is I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. This is, I think, the first film I saw this year. It came out really early. It won the top prize at Sundance Film Festival. This is kind of an indie dark comedy. Usually they'd give it to a stylized drama. So it was really surprising when um, it won and Netflix instantly bought this movie as soon as it got the award and put it on their streaming site a week later. Yeah, I was totally caught off guard with that because I heard about that movie winning and then all of a sudden it was on Netflix. Yeah, for the whole world to see. It's this crazy new thing that's happening. <clears throat> Can you imagine being those filmmakers and you're like, we're going to Sundance, guys. And you like go there and then like a week later your film's been bought, distributed, and like millions of by people, 10 million people within a week. <laughs> totally. Yeah, crazy. So I don't feel at home in this world anymore is a really unique throwback genre film. Like I said this for Lost City of Z. This really feels like a 90s Quentin Tarantino Coen Brothers film. Yeah. It has these really stylized, super fast action sequences that are like straight out of a Tarantino movie. Coen Brothers storyline of of these small time characters getting thrown into a situation and wrapped up that is way over their head and then trying to like solve this mystery. It borrows really new aspects from films that I've been really enjoying respecting lately, like Green Room and the Nice Guys, like using, even like Eon Flux did this, the animated shorts, of throwing these very imperfect characters being thrown into situations where they fuck up and mess up and their mistakes have huge impacts on what goes on for the rest of the movie. Like we're watching really imperfect characters. They're the heroes, but they don't act like heroes at all. You know, they see some blood and they'll just throw up because they're just a normal person who's in a situation yeah. that they shouldn't be. Or they raise a gun at a guy and try to shoot him and it ricochets off a pipe and then hits themselves in the leg. And it's kind of like a new thing I'm seeing more and more in films and I'm really liking it. And yeah, this film does it, does it really well. Yeah. I, I'm totally with you on this movie. Uh, I'm really glad you're talking about it because it was on my list of whether or not I should bring it up and then you decided to bring it up. So I'm just, I, I loved this movie. The dialogue is really snappy. The characters just move from scene to scene 
it really feels real. I mean, she lives in this really small, you know, like unkept house and she just has like beers in the fridge. She wears jeans and like a white shirt. Everything about this movie, they try to make it seem authentic and something that could happen to an everyday person in the real world. Yeah. Elijah Wood's character is Gosh. just... <laughs> Elijah Wood's character in this movie. I don't movie. even know who invented that, <laughs> what he has going on with him, but it's like some rebellious high schooler who continued that on into his like early 30s and just kind of doesn't give a fuck and has his completely own personality and character unlike anyone else around him. <laughs> totally. Um, and I mean, I think the whole concept of the movie is something that people can relate to. It's called I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. And it's because the main character, her house gets broken into. That sense of privacy got totally shattered. And I think that anyone who's had their stuff broken into and had stuff stolen from them can relate to that. And then, you know, she just gets pissed. And she's like seeking revenge, but she doesn't even know who to seek revenge to. Just against the world. <laughs> I just love how her and Elijah would meet. Like, his dog, like, poops in her yard or something. Yep. And she just goes outside and starts screaming at him. And he's, like, totally taken aback. I'm really sorry that happened. You know, da, 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 da. I haven't seen the movie. And I think I saw a trailer for it a long time ago. But it's not fresh in my mind at all. But it makes me think of, is this movie like that, what was that, God Bless America? Do you know what movie I'm talking about? Yeah. Barely. Is it kind of like that? No. That's what. That's the vibe I got from just watching the trailer, but I don't know. So it's not like God Bless America, because God Bless America is basically like a satire, an overblown, like ridiculous, like they've got guns, and they're yeah. blazing, like they're just yeah. killing people left and right. And this yeah. movie definitely has like a lot of violence, but it's also yeah. like based in the real world. The violence is very grounded. When something violent does happen, like I was actually like caught off guard because the movie just kind of everything seems so real and then all of a sudden someone's shot or someone gets hit by a bus and you're just like oh my gosh yeah. that really just happened <laughs> it's just surprising yeah yeah, yeah. okay um, I feel like this guy the director is a first time director Malcolm Blair while I really loved this movie he got so much praise for it he won his awards for it he's gonna get a second film quickly and with a bigger budget my one thing about this movie is I feel like it could have been more ambitious, and I'm really excited for him to have that like confidence going forward, and I can't wait to see what his sophomore film is. But could you feel restraint in the movie when you're watching it? I mean, he works with it. He makes the story build around that restraint. Like, it's yeah. a small-town feel, but he's such a competent director right off the bat that yeah, I'm excited to see what he does with a bigger script, a little more ambitious of a story, and more money. I could see his second movie being similar to this one, though. Do you know his background? He's an yeah. actor. He was in The Green Room and Blue Ruin. Oh, it's the it's the main guy from Blue Ruin. Yeah, huh? exactly. I, yeah. I think I read, yeah, I read an article about that. Yeah, so to me it had a very similar vibe of those kind of movies, where their big emotions are happening, but they're very much grounded reality. I, I could see it being similar to that kind of thing. Okay, we'll see. <laughs> cool so that's blue room that's not blue run that's i don't feel home in this world anymore it's currently available to stream on netflix so derek what's your next movie all right so my next movie is colossal it's filmed by nacho vigilando which i actually hadn't heard of him in a really long time right when netflix first started i remember like your brother sean got really into 
What's that Swedish vampire movie? Let the, Let right, the one. right One In. Mm -hmm. So I remember renting that on Netflix and it like suggested this movie called Time Crimes to me. I remember renting it and it was a Spanish time travel film that had just gotten a lot of praise. And I watched it and it's amazing. It's mm -hmm. really good. That was his first film. And I haven't heard anything about him since then. I think he's made like one more film since then. But so this is his newest movie and it's way bigger it's a fairly ambitious movie. It's about Anne Hathaway plays this girl that's kind of going downhill. She's having some tough times. She's partying all the time. She's getting drunk all the time. She ends up having to move back to her hometown where she discovers that she is controlling a giant creature attacking soul. As one would. Yeah, as yeah. <laughs> as that happens. So. She like gets blacked out drunk, and then the next day it's like, yeah, did you see like... what happened on the news? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, first of all, I just I, I really really love this movie. I think he explores a lot of really unique things that none of us had any idea he was going to explore with the movie. From the get-go, just that plot kind of sounds like... You know what kind of made me think of when I first heard about it? And I wasn't excited to see it. Is it made me think of that Luke Wilson movie with Uma Thurman. It's called, like, My Super Girlfriend or My something. Super Ex-Girlfriend. My Super Ex-Girlfriend. <laughs> where it's just, like, this crazy big concept wrapped up in a romantic comedy. And that's what it felt like. But once you get into the movie, it takes a lot of twists and a lot of surprise turns that are really refreshing. And it's really cool to see him putting so much effort into something that could be so just satisfactory. Yeah, this is not the movie that you think it is. No, not at all. If you saw the trailer, it's not that movie. In the first hour of the movie it still changes. It's not that movie anymore yeah. either. Like, yeah. there's so many surprises with this movie. Yeah. Also, genre-bending, too. Yeah, it's like for sure. It's like a monster movie, a psychological thriller. It has a lot of really funny parts, too. Yeah. It starts out as a rom-com. Kind of, like, pulls you along. Like, you don't know what it is being while yeah. you're watching it at some point. You're like, what the hell is going... Like, what is this? For a minute, this, I thought it was a slasher. Funny? What is this? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> for like, a minute, so... I was like, get out of the house! There's, you know, <laughs> yeah. like a slasher, but... But it's not really a slasher by any means. No. It's one of those movies that it's it's hard to talk about without spoiling stuff. It's something that I recommend everyone going to. It's a really good movie with a lot of great talking points. And I think it goes places that a lot of movies are afraid to. And that was really refreshing to see him not be afraid of exploring ideas that people don't like to explore. Taking such a ridiculous concept and giving it few concise rules that really work and yeah. then not being afraid to just executing it. Yeah. Yeah. Like they don't really feel the need to explain why it's happening, but they still operate in the rules of the universe, Yeah, which is really cool. Yeah, for sure. And everyone's really good in it, too. Anne Hathaway's great. Jason Sudeikis is really good. Really different role for him. Recommended for everyone. Totally. So that's Colossal. Again, I don't think that one's out on streaming yet, but it should be available really soon. My last movie that I wanted to bring up is Get Out. Get Out is the first movie by Jordan Peele from Key & Peele fame, and it's a horror movie, but it also blends... Uh, comedy as well. It's like got a lot of pretty tense moments, but also there's laughter throughout the whole thing. You can't really talk about Get Out without saying that it's wrapped up in social commentary. It's kind of the point almost of the movie. Yeah, like. totally. <laughs> it's like at first all the racism is like 
really subtle and seemingly harmless, but you kind of see what it could be like for a guy like him going into it. And then it really is a tense, weird situation. And, you know, I really loved how it was executed. It kind of played with the genres. It was very much a horror movie, but it also kind of tricked you in what kind of horror movie it was. And then it also was really funny throughout. I'm a big fan of horror movies when they can balance both those things. Also, the best horror movies are the ones that are saying something about the world. I think you can go back in the history of horror movies and a lot of them play on some sort of paranoia that is going on in our culture. And I don't really want to say too much because of spoilers, but the ending, I think, is just fantastic. So, I mean, I just love that movie. The, like, last 30-second yeah, off the the last the ending yep. of it the last few right. minutes is just so good i wish we could talk about it but yeah. i'm not going to <laughs> i think this movie does a really good job on the script level introducing things that don't make any sense but that pay off later yeah and things like on a such a micro level that you could even realize like as you think about the movie the week after different things will keep popping back in your head we're like oh now i get why that person said this or oh i get why that little piece of tension was there yeah and it all plays into what happens in the climax. Very much. They were really smart in like creating all those loops and checking off everything to make sure most of it made sense. Yeah, there's there are... 95%. Yeah, admittedly, I will say there are a few things in there that I think don't fully make sense. They're there just kind of for shock, for, for horror elements. But, I mean, come on. They're, they're forgivable offenses. They're not that bad. Can we talk about for just a second? Like, I'm trying to imagine a larger break into the industry. Jordan Peele made this movie. He's like a very well-known comedian, just hot off the heels of one of Comedy Central's most successful comedy shows. Yeah. And he comes out with the exact opposite, racially driven horror film. The company that's known for making shit tons of money off of horror films, it breaks all of their records. Yeah. And one of the highest grossing movies of the year. Yeah. <laughs> off of like a shoestring budget. And it's just, it's his first movie that he just did without anyone even knowing it was happening. I follow him on Twitter and it was really cool to see like how giddy he was with like, you can tell it was like his baby and this was like his first time pushing something like this completely out of his hands into the world. So happy and everybody loved it and we know for sure we're going to be seeing a lot more of his films in the future. Nobody would not give him money to make a film at this point. This and Split were both Blumhouse films, right? Yeah. And they were both under $10 million? Yeah. And they both made over $100 million? Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, that's like Blumhouse's thing. And I'm starting to think that that's the way that more of studios should go. Yeah. We need more of these smaller movies. Like, you don't need $120 million to make a movie. No. Ghostbusters didn't need to yeah. cost $120 million. In fact, we've discussed this. We think that they need to keep the reins on M. Night on his budgets and yeah. keep them small definitely <laughs> it's proving that he makes better films a lot of people do they make better films when they have to think creatively and really try to make things work as opposed to just having this big budget to dig into it yeah yeah these summer blockbusters it is either make or completely break yeah. and there's no in between once the opening weekend happens yeah and it's blumhouse that's doing the exact opposite there's no way for these movies to break because they were so cheap to begin with that no matter what at least through eventually when it goes into distribution through dvd sales or streaming sales it's going to make the money back no matter what yeah yeah absolutely and so i mean i think that pretty much wraps it up um we're going to be back in a few weeks at the end of the summer to talk about our favorite summer movies and to look forward to the fall uh, where can we find you guys online? 
Instagram, Brandon underscore Bulby. At Chicken Tack on Twitter. I'm at Mothman23 on Twitter. And um, signing off, this has been Podcasting with Friends Movie Edition. Have a nice time. Cheers. Bye.